Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of The Full 40, part of the Stay Tuned Network, brought to you by Nova Insider, featuring our interview with Dana O'Neill, senior writer at The Athletic. This episode of The Full 40 is brought to you by Sanzo. Sanzo is a premier sparkling water brand and the first of its kind to feature Asian-inspired flavors such as lychee, mango, and calamansi. My favorite flavor is calamansi and Rob's is mango and we make sure our fridges are always stocked. Made with real fruit, no added sugars or artificial flavors, it's a delicious way to kick off your spring and avoid unnecessary calories. Sanzo is available at drinksanzo.com where you can subscribe for monthly shipments. It's also available at your local Whole Foods and is now available on Amazon. So you got to check it out. And please, if you already have it, enjoy this next episode of The Full 40 with an ice cold Sanzo. Our interview with Dana O'Neill comes on the second half of this podcast. The first half of the podcast, we cover the very eventful week that was featuring two injuries to key Wildcats, and a Big East championship somehow in the middle of all of that. So please tune in. First half, just me and Rob, and the second part, which will be dropping in a separate episode, a full interview with Dana O'Neill, which we are super excited to bring to you. It was fantastic, and Dana was phenomenal. We'll see you soon, but first, here's Jim Nance. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. It's a full 40 with Chris and Rob, part of the Stay Tuned Network, brought to you by Nova Insider. Big podcast today, guys. Big one. The we big one. Dana O'Neill, senior writer at The Athletic, on the second half of the podcast. <laughs> but Rob and I first are going to go and cover the week that was, because um, we had a Creighton game, we had a Providence game, two injuries in the middle of all of that. Um, and, and then, and then now we know what the Big East tournament's going to look like and see how this shapes the future. It's I, wild. I, Can I stop you right there? Yeah. It's wild that you said that. I obviously didn't forget that Colin got hurt, but it seems like ages ago that we had that Creighton game and we had a good clubhouse <laughs> discussion after that. I forgot we hadn't even had a podcast since then, which no. is kind of nuts. No, we didn't have a podcast since then. And so, and so we need to cover it. So, so, so I, I think let's jump in there. Um, look. The Creighton game is so colored by the Colin injury that it became hard to digest after the fact because the pros of the Creighton game far were far less than the cons of the Creighton game. The con of the Creighton game being that we lost Colin. I mean, big, big con there. Yeah, yeah, correct. So, so, so like the pros of the game is just so outweighed. And even though the pros of the game were beating a top 15 team, which we really hadn't done in three months, you know, winning the big east regular season championship again and like a lot of exciting stuff too in terms of performance down the stretch by like slater and the rest of the guys um led to a you know a, a pretty exciting type of finish there with creighton and we beat them pretty good i mean we like they had some internal stuff going on in their locker room which i mean like you know it's more than just a little thing it's, it's I, a bigger I, thing but I, I like i was just gonna say it was a but, pretty but, newsworthy thing yeah no it was big it was pretty big newsworthy thing i, I want to guess in terms of the uh, uh, in terms of on-court performance 
it was more newsworthy off the court than it was on the court in terms of performance. That's why I didn't Mm -hmm. like, like there's a whole conversation to be had about what Greg McDermott said and how terrible it was and and all of that. And like, we got to focus on Villanova. So we're not going to go down that path at this, at this stage. But, but like, I don't believe that that was what caused Creighton to play poorly. I think we caused Creighton to play poorly. And I think we played terrific against Creighton, uh, even after the Colin injury, where we played even better right after the Colin injury. Yeah. Um, and it's a testament to the mental toughness of this team that they were able to gut that win out despite losing Colin and not scoring the ball for like seven whole minutes in the second half. So like a pretty ridiculous win from, from all of that perspective. When you add that all in the pot of what this victory meant, like that was a terrific win and perhaps the win of the season. So, so like, you know, I don't want to overshadow the Creighton game. It's really hard not to though, when you lose Colin and then follow it up by losing Justin, although we're sitting here, it's 1230 on Sunday. We still don't know. I mean, we could drop this podcast after we find out the news and have no choice but to release this to you and, and not <laughs> and not be speaking from intelligence. So we're going to speak. We're going to do both. We're going to do both. If yeah. then, then that. And if this, then the other thing. So um, so we're going to do that for this podcast. But what do you make of Creighton? Yeah, I mean, the Creighton game for me was a few things. And we'll put we'll put Colin aside because we – alluded to that and that's a huge thing that we need to talk about separately but more broadly from the team it was a really interesting game and as you mentioned it was great to see the team respond very quickly and grow to that enormous lead that we saw and then more or less hang on to that lead because as you mentioned we went 11 in a period of 11 minutes we scored two points and it is unreal that we were actually able to hold the lead over that over that period of time. And unfortunately, folks, my ESPN is playing music in the background, so you got to deal with that. But yeah, so my big things from the game, it was a huge Justin Moore game, which obviously we'll get to in a little bit as well. But the fact that Justin really stepped up, and he's a guy that we've been talking about for a number of weeks now that we really wanted to see a little bit more. We wanted him to get back to that November and December Justin Moore that we were expecting dropping 25 or 24 points on nine of 12 shooting is absolutely terrific so love to see that and of course some of the guys that we keep talking about and I think you Chris in particular keep talking about Slater Slater had a big game he plays 25 minutes he drops 11 points and five boards that's a really solid outing and I think starts to lend a lot of credence to this idea that he needs to and perhaps should have gotten more playing time earlier. And then I think it, it begs the broader question of development within the program, which then the flashlight absolutely gets shown on later this week when Justin goes down. But point being, when you lose a guy like Colin, you want to know that there are other folks that you can rely on and plug into that role. And unfortunately, we don't have that. And Jay's gotten away, and let's call it what it is, he's gotten away with running a seven-man rotation basically for a few years now. And the knock has always been, oh, well, guys get worn down on it because we've been fortunate that nobody's actually had a really serious injury that's put us in this position. But now that we're in this position and you ask a guy like Brian Antoine to step in, and he only played 11 minutes or so in the Creighton game, but then to play a lot more, and then a Chris Archie Diacono to play a lot more in the Providence game, 
it then starts to raise the question of we should why weren't we developing these players and getting them more playing time earlier so that if something like this does happen, people are more ready to step up. And obviously you always are going to have questions about how the pieces fit together, but folks just having the confidence to know that, yeah, I can step onto the court and I can be effective no matter when I'm called on is something that I don't think we really have. So that was my big thing coming out of the Creighton game. Love to see the win, love to see the grittiness of it. We fought through it, Justin came out, but then I start to say, oh, shit, where are we going from here? And who's stepping up? Because this next man up mentality is great when you have next men who are ready to play. We don't have men who are ready to play. And that's it. Yeah. Look, hard to disagree on a lot of things. I do want to talk about the player development angle. Um, and I'm not trying to soften this whatsoever because I agree with your broader point. And I want to just but I'm trying to hone the point. I believe that there's plenty of player development happening in practice, right? Like practice yeah. and, yep. and, and in the gym and with Shaq and all of that. Like you can see it on the bodies. You can see it in the skill sets, et cetera. These players are developing dramatically over their time at Villanova. But there is player development that happens in practice, in the weight room, and all of that other stuff, watching film and all that stuff. And I bet these guys are really doing great on that, on that front. And then there's player, the player development that just happens from being on the floor. And there's nothing that can compare. I don't care what you do. There's nothing that can compare to playing games. And, and that is the point that I want to hone on this podcast, is that in the game, the, the, where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, like we have a lot of guys who didn't play over the course of their career enough to, make a, to feel like confident enough to that they can make a difference in the game when their number gets called. So next man up is great to your point when you have guys who got that experience. When Phil Booth went down in 2018, Dante DiVincenzo had enough time playing significant minutes in this program to benefit. So that, that's what you're dealing with um, when, when we're talking about player development here. So, so my, my, my mentality is, look, Jay's always been a short lineup guy. Like we know that like in my entire life as a fan, he's never really gone more than eight deep nine max. And even nine is, is much, it's like eight and a half. And even when it's that it's like seven and it's like, it's like seven guys plus two guys at the eight and nine spots who kind of coalesce to meet the next eighth guy, so to speak. So he's never been more than eight guy rotation, but this year and the last couple of years, I can think of a handful of examples where it really hasn't gone much past six. Yeah. Um, in 2019, you ran the whole offense through Pascal and Booth. Cremo was the first guy off the bench for whatever reason. You know, Swider was, you know, relegated pretty far back. Bay started, so Bay got a lot of playing time and whatever. And Slater was way down on the bench. And there was news that came out that he they had asked him to red shirt and he chose and elected not to. So there might have been another plan for Slater there that would make Slater only a sophomore now, which maybe colors your entire view on Slater a little bit differently. And then you go to the previous year, and and I thought you, we saw better bench management in 2020 out of Jay. Slater and Swider started to play a little bit more, but even then it was kind of six guys. And then this year... It was basically for the majority of the year, the five starters plus Swider and only of late has Slater really seen an expansion of his minutes. Yeah. And, and, you know, maybe that's different if Demir Cosby Roundtree is healthy all year. I would assume that it would be. Um, But then, you know, you're also talking about playing another senior. So, okay, you're playing seven guys, but like you're talking about a senior versus guys like Dixon, Brian Antoine, uh, Chris Archidiacono, apparently, um, which is like a whole other thing. Like, we could do a whole right? podcast on Chris right? Archidiacono, like the player development in one game. I can't even fathom it. Um, but 
But I do think that there's a point to be raised here that I think Jay has almost become a little bit of a caricature of his own short bench, like in the last in the last few years, yeah. in particular after 18. And maybe it got it was like a 18 was the drug that he got hooked on because he had six legitimate NBA guys. And so like, you know, it's or sorry, five legitimate NBA guys. Phil Booth is is in the is in the G League, but Booth has been amazing. So like, you know, we'll put Booth aside. He's kind of in our own mind, like an NBA guy in my mind. Yeah. But, but like you had, you had five legitimate NBA guys. So like, yeah, of course you can go ahead and rely on it. And they're all ridiculously conditioned. And it's like, it's like absurd to imagine going much deeper on that. But even in 18, Colin played significant minutes. Yeah. Even in 18, Demir Cosby Roundtree played a good amount of minutes. If Jermaine Samuels doesn't get hurt in early 18 and break his hand, he might be playing significant minutes. So like, it is interesting to just, think through all of that and and you wonder if and you wonder really do i really do if if jay has become over-reliant on a very tight lineup yeah and and i i do want to i think it became so much more clear to me the point that you made about game experience and game development being so different than practice you even saw it in the difference between the Creighton game and the Providence game. And I'll focus on Brian Antoine. Hell, I'll even focus on, on Slater too. Brian Antoine has played sparingly. In the Creighton game, he played a little bit more, but still looked pretty jittery. When you see him starting to ease into it, the the Providence game, look, he didn't have a standout game by any means, but he just looks so much more comfortable. Like, oh yeah, I'm broadly supposed to be out here on the floor. Now, don't get me wrong. He's still missing a lot of defensive switches. He's not adding a ton to the offense, but you can see the wheels turning in his head of saying, yeah, I broadly should be on this court and I'm going to play like that. I'm going to put some shots up. They may not go in, but I'm going to put them up comfortably and just feel like I belong on this court. And that makes a difference. Yeah. To me, what I'll say is, okay, so I'm, I'm a, I play golf my whole life and like, when my swing is not good, my dad always told me when I was growing up that my swing is like station to station where I'm trying to hit my checkpoints, like as I'm like swinging the golf club of like, okay, get back to this spot, whatever. And you can tell that I'm thinking through the entire swing as opposed to smoothly taking the swing and just doing, focusing on the one or two things that I got to focus on. And I believe that what's happening with Antoine is you're seeing that you're seeing him go from going station to station where you can see he's like trying to feel out of space in the floor. Like, okay, I have to stand here in the zone and I have to, and I have to, where's my guy, where's my guy. I don't know where my guy is. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, gravitates to him. Now he seems to be gravitating and more smoothly getting to position in the offense. He's moving around and not thinking through his movements and whatever to find open space for the, on the floor. And you see it in the Creighton and the Providence game to your point of him finding more open looks as opposed to just being like out of nowhere and kind of like a lost guy on offense. This is a, this is a highly capable offensive player um, who's got a great three point shot from a, from a form perspective, very capable. And you can tell that, by virtue that he was even able to get some shots off in those two games was proof positive that he understood the flow of the offense better. So like, that's just, you just don't get that in practice. You get that in the game. Yeah. And so, and so now he's got game experience, which gives me some hope that maybe there is some Brian Antoine this season, which we didn't think there was, um, that there may be Brian Antoine this season that can potentially help us win a game or two in March. So I, I'm, I, I will say that I am optimistic about that. 
given that we've seen it. Now, I, to, to the point that we're making here more broadly, this could have happened a month ago. Yeah. This could happen a month ago, and then we're not asking as many questions about what kind of Antoine are we going to see for the tournament. Yep. We're, 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 we're understanding what his, what his shortcomings are. We're understanding what he's going to give us every game. Maybe it's not going to be consistent, but we understand what we could get out of him. Now, Brian Antoine's got to figure out what we could get out of yeah. Brian Antoine. So it's, yeah. it's, all part of the, it's all part of it. Now, it could be very exciting, or it could be disappointing. We don't know. Yeah. At least, I guess the benefit is because of this experience, you have to assume that going looking forward past this year into next year, there is going to be a lot more there. There's a lot more there there, if you will. Yeah, certainly hope so. We got to get a, to Providence too. We got to get the. <laughs> let's do a quick take on Providence. We got to touch on little Biggie's tournament preview as well. Yeah. And somehow still talk about is Colin coming back or not? Right. Right. All right. So let's let's talk Providence. And I, I had to start like, look, we got to talk about more. But I got to start from the start of the game. I said this on the post-game clubhouse. I just can't fathom why Swider started this game. And to me, I think it rubbed off on the entire team. You know, Jay sometimes says stuff like, oh, well, Swider's from the area, so it's nice. You know, he gets to play. He's to start a game in his home territory. I could even understand Swider. One of Swider's best games of his freshman year was at Providence. I don't know if you recall. He dropped like 12, was like four of six from, from deep, like played great like against Providence at the dunk a couple of years ago. So like, I, I, I get some of that. There may be some matchup reasons why he started Swider. To me, to me, it's all in the garbage. I, I, I like, like Absolutely. It, throw it all in the garbage because that's not, a, that's not what we needed here. We needed people who were going to be athletic, who are going to be, who are going to be energetic, who were going to provide strong defense. Like Jay used to do this in the past when he lost his best offensive player or, or had, or had challenges in offense. He actually refocused the team defensively. And, and said, like, whatever. And also, by the way, like, we, we've talked about Slater on this podcast, and, and everyone, the, the, you know, the, the coverage on Villanova is, oh, Swider's your offense guy, Slater's your defense guy. And throw that in the garbage, too. Absolute garbage. Because, because Slater has proven to be every bit as capable offensively, if not more capable offensively, than Swider. Like, like he's better defensively. Everyone acknowledges that. Like, offensively, it's it's also a different category. Slater shot 50% from deep on the year. Slater did miss a lot of free throws in this game. And so and so you got to hit you got to get hold people accountable on on missed free throws. I have very little patience for missed free throws. This is something that the team's supposed to be good at. Maybe jitters, maybe something else. I don't know, but that's got to be worked out. But Slater has shot the ball effectively overall this year. He can play above the rim. We know that he brings it defensively. And this the mere fact that he's on the free throw line is proof that he is more of an offensive weapon yes. than Swider is right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, ESPN is absolutely killing me right now. Um, <laughs> yes. So I don't – and I think you've made the point pretty clear on your Slater-Swider side of things. And, and we know we're not – we're very well aware of Swider's deficiencies. Some of the quick hits about the Providence game that I do want to make sure that we cover. It was, the offense was troubled even before Moore went out, which is kind of what you were getting at. Like, we were really struggling, and then Moore went down, and, and we continued to struggle too. But it was a really slow start for us. And there are two guys who we expect to be able to rely on who just didn't have it yesterday, and that was Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Caleb Daniels. And this is not the not the knock J Rob because we love J Rob, but he just he just didn't have it yesterday. He was I think five for fifteen was not able to finish. If he was able to finish more effectively, we're in a much better position for that game, and it, we don't have to claw back 
quite as much as we did. Caleb was one for eight. And yes, and, and when you have somebody like Justin Moore goes down, you want to, to our earlier point about the next man up thing, those are some of the guys you want to be able to rely on. You want to be able to rely on, but when they aren't able to step up, then you start looking around and saying, well, who's going to be able to do it? And that's exactly what happened with us. Nobody was able to do it. We had to rely on Jermaine, thank goodness, to step up in the second half and really put the team on his back and get us back in the game with his consistent driving left. He has, he has one move. It was working every single time. I don't know <laughs> why. I don't know how it was able to be effective so long, but it worked. But but to me, those guys not not working really stood out, and I think it does. It continues to raise more questions for us as we look forward to the Big East tournament. So a lot of red flags there. You know, some quick bright spots. Chris Archidiakono, like you said, look from the limited minutes we've seen him play, which has always been in garbage time. He looks like a walk on. He actually seemed like a somewhat competent ball handler yesterday. Yeah, he wasn't blowing anybody out of the water. But he wasn't throwing the ball away all over the court either and made some, some decent hustle play. So let's not get crazy about Chris Archidiakono, but, oh, hey, another comp- a somewhat competent ball handler we could put out there? Like, I'll take it this time of the year. Yeah, I mean, look, Chris Archidiakono got asked to step up in a very challenging environment and situation. And uh, he might have turned the ball over once or twice. It wasn't a lot. It yeah. wasn't a lot. It did not. He did not impact us from the perspective of, oh, my God, he turned the ball over a lot and we're losing. He had one, one turnover. Yeah, so there you go relative to making the offense work, he missed some open looks. I mean, look, this is a guy who's buried, like ninth, tenth guy on the bench. I, yeah. mean, I have no expectation of Chris Archidiakono. And so whatever expectation I did have, he way far exceeded my expectations yesterday. I mean, that's the that's the like the short story on Chris Archidiakono is either that. On defensively, he also was ridiculously active and created a lot of interruptions and created a lot of problems for Providence defensively. So all of a sudden now you're asking yourself like, okay, maybe Chris Archidiakono is one of the guys who's going to ring the bell while he's gone. But I want to get back to J-Rob and Caleb Daniels because you started there and I wanted to get back there. Look, everyone throws up a dud. Like you, you, you can't be great every game. Jeremiah Robinson Earl has proven to be uh, top five play- players at his position, which he's out of position. He shouldn't be playing that position. Um, but top five players at his position all year round and has done a fantastic job. He got beat up down low yesterday. He, there's no, there's no, there's no two questions about it. He's just not he, like it's, it's asking him him to do too much. Uh, candidly, when you got to get him up against two big guys all the time, and the entire offense is allowed to sag down on him. He's getting his shot blocked. You're getting his shots affected. He couldn't put the ball in the cup. He missed a wide open dunk. It was, it, it was an adventure for him yesterday. Even though he came away with a double double, it was almost like a by default double double. Well, we had no one else to really rebound the ball, and we had no one else. And we had and people, someone had to score the buckets. So like yeah. he kind of got a default double, double, which like, you know, you hate to rag a guy for having a double, double, but JRE is better than a double, double when you have two of your best players. Totally down. Um, Jermaine Samuels was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Takeover level type stuff, um, which he's going to need to be on this team. Jermaine Samuels is going to need to be that player that we saw yesterday for the rest of the season. And this is what the 2017 team had with Josh Hart 
where like we had no answers to do anything else and josh just drive drove the lane little pivot spin move um and every, and every single time every single time when we needed him to do it that's what he did and jermaine's gonna have to be that guy um who's just gonna be like i'm gonna bully my way to the hoop and whatever happens happens so shades of heart in in samuels yesterday and then daniel's got to shoot the ball better since coming off of covid and look i don't know what how it's affecting him or not it could have just purely be he's out of rhythm from 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 being sidelined with coronavirus caleb caleb daniels has got to shoot the ball better it, it's just pure and simple now i do think that getting into normal basketball environments like msg or like a normal arena like we'll see in March Madness, as opposed to Providence, which like the whole thing looked white yesterday. I don't know. It was it seemed like a weird environment. It might help him. So I'm hopeful that da- there's still something to see out of Daniels. Clearly, he adds a lot of intensity and effort uh, on the defensive end and stuff like that. But he's got to play better. He's got to be better offensively, period. Yeah. Now, I, I totally agree. So, I mean, that was Providence, a, a weird, weird end to a weird weird regular season which we didn't even mention we we did get the big east regular season championship with the win at creighton but okay (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. i mean it's it's just not the type of season where i where everyone cares too much about that i mean right now this is one of those seasons where i don't like it but like everything is on march and and right now after two injuries we have to talk about what's to come and I think the first thing to talk about is, is, is like, I want to fa- flash past the Big East tournament for a second, talk about March Madness, and what are seedings even going to be like? Because uh, just to refocus the fans here as to how this all works. So we were going to be a three seed before the Creighton game. The win at Creighton looked and appeared to solidify that three seed. That that's probably a guarantee. However, the Colin injury throws a monkey wrench into that equation. And if something were to be more season ending for more, that would also throw an additional monkey wrench into it. Here's why. The NCAA has to put Villanova in the field. There is no question about that. There's nothing, there's nothing to stop. They can't, they can't pull them out. They can't assume losses where there would have been, um, sorry, they can't assume would be losses when there were wins. They can't do any of that. Your record is your record. Your net is your net. And you get, and you got into the NCAA tournament. Dude, stop going on ESPN. I don't know what you're doing, but stop. <laughs> terrible. It's terrible. Anyway, you can't do anything for that. So, so Villanova's making the tournament. Seeding can get impacted by player losses and how you perform after you lose a player. It hasn't happened in any significant degree. The biggest example that I can think of is like 10 years ago when Purdue lost Rob, Robbie Hummel, um, where they did fall back a couple seed lines because they ended their season loss after loss after loss. So my thinking was that after the Creighton game, if you lose Colin, if you beat Providence, you probably eliminate any of that because the sample size is just too small. Now we have a situation where we've lost at Providence, which isn't actually a terrible loss. They're like pretty decent in the net. I think it's a quad two loss, so it's not horrible. It's not like losing at Butler or whatever like that. It's not, it's not that bad. But you then have to think about what happens in the first round of the Big East tournament? So I, that was a long-winded setup to set up for the first game that we play where we're going to get the winner of Marquette and Georgetown. That changed overnight um, because of the results in the Big East conference yesterday, which totally reorganized the, the Big East tournament schedule. But we will get the winner of Marquette and Georgetown. Marquette and Georgetown are playing Wednesday afternoon, and then we play the winner of that game on Thursday at noon. Um, and so 
we got to preview that a little bit. But the, the bottom line is for NCAA seeding purposes, if we want to keep a three-seater better, this is a must-win game. We don't know if we can win it, but this is a must-win game to hold on to that three seed, which I believe we will get a three seed if we just win this game. If we lose this game, you could see us tumble to a four. You might even see us tumble further down to a five um, because then they would have seen the Colin injury, the Justin Moore injury. The committee would say, okay, well, this is clearly not the same team. They just lost to Providence and lost on a neutral court versus a bad versus ba- a bad team in Marquette or Georgetown. Then you throw the resume on fire and throw it in the garbage and the, the, the committee's got to pick a, a, a seed line out of a hat. Yeah, no, it's great. And so should we talk about what that game looks like and what, what we're thinking is going to happen for the Big East tournament? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I'm putting my money on it, I'm putting my money on Georgetown to beat Marquette. That's my, that's my two cents there. Marquette has been a, a, you know, a dumpster fire. They had a UNC win, then they lose to DePaul or something like that. It's a total dumpster fire of a season. I, they, they've had some decent basketball games of late. Um, but overall, it's it, it's been an adventure. Wojciechowski's had a bad year as a coach, which is kind of common for him. And Georgetown has actually shown some progress in the last uh, few weeks, save the weekend performance versus UConn, which UConn's on fire. I don't think anyone's beaten UConn in the Big East tournament. So that's my personal belief. It's UConn-St. John's in the final for me. That's my that's my high-level takeaway. That's who I got going to the finals of the Big East tournament. Uh, but that's but that's where we're at right now. And so, and so I think we're going to get Georgetown. And then, candidly, I think that's the tough matchup for us. We looked pretty bad in both first halves when we played Georgetown, both at their place and our at our place. And the big difference maker there was Wahab, who's their inside man, who they went to with frequency. And we had to double down on low, um, which we didn't like double, but you shade down towards him to try and rake it away with a guard. And then he's able to, you know, you know, you get it out of the post to an open guy um, and they're able to shoot open looks. And that's when they're at their best or they're at their best when Wahab is able just to go, you know, down low and, and bang around and, and do something for Jay to, put a lineup on the court that's going to be effective. He has to have Dixon playing the five and JRE playing the four for a good amount of the game on Thursday. If we play Georgetown Marquette, totally different matchup, but if we're going to play against Georgetown, Dixon has to play significant minutes, which thank God he played a little bit on against Providence because before that it was a total adventure and he didn't play. And Dixon picked up several mystery DNPs um, for the entire for, for the entire back half of the season here. So thank God he played yesterday. So I think Dixon's number has to get called if we play against Georgetown to help against Wahab. He's a big, burly, big man. He could do work down low. JRE is not going to be the answer all game. JRE's got great footwork and is able to defend with his with his fundamentals. But sometimes size just wins out. And if Georgetown can stay committed to that game plan. Georgetown can beat us, especially without Colin and Justin. Yeah, that's where I I think you said that really well. And if I'm making predictions on this, without without Justin Moore, we can do a little bit of our with and without. If we don't have Justin, assuming we're playing Georgetown, and I'll say even even if we're playing Marquette, I don't expect us to win. I think there are just too many open questions, and this team – still having to go back and figure out how everyone is going to work together to get this, um, to make this actually happen and make everything click. And if, if that is, if that's the case, 
we saw what this team is capable of a little bit the other day against Providence, which is capable of clawing back, but doesn't seem capable of putting out a dominant performance. So I could very well see us making a first round exit without Justin and even with Justin too. Going back to the earlier point you were making about the team starting slow against Providence, Justin was in there and we could have the same thing. So I'm not bullish on our certainly not bullish on our chances to advance far in the Big East tournament. No. And not even bullish on our chances to win our first game, which is disappointing, especially for you and I, Chris, since we're doing what is supposed to be a Big East preview after the first game that we play on yeah. Thursday. Yeah. But I guess that's what that's I guess that's the karma that you and I get for uh, for choosing to go after the game. Yeah, we did. We had the option to go early that day and we uh, we said, nah, screw that. We're not doing we that. Said, nah. Um, but look, here's the deal. I, I, I don't think more plays in the, in the big East tournament. If more is healthy, I still don't think he plays in the big East tournament. I think Jay emphasizes the NCAA tournament. I think he says, look, I got like more is coming back, but we're going to slow play this and he's going to play in the first round. He's going to heal up and whatever. And we're going to play it. That sends a different message to the committee and it almost absolves whatever happens in the big East tournament. If more doesn't play, but is available. Like that's an interesting thing that Jay can do to put the committee on its heels and probably save us a four seed um, yeah. in, in the NCAAs. I, yeah, I'm in full support of that approach. Yeah. If, if Assuming more has a chance to come back this season, just take the L. Don't play him against Georgetown. Yeah, then, then no matter what happens, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. If we win that game, I think we hold on to the three line. I really believe it. Because, because I don't think there's a lot of behind us to like jump us per, per se. And we were pretty high up on the three line. We're like nine, number nine, 10 overall, which put us as the first or second three seed going into the Providence game. And again, a, win, a loss at Providence is not the worst loss in the world. So if you lose at Providence and you lose your first round Big East game, but you're getting Justin Moore back, I think we hang on to the four line. If we win our first game in the Big East tournament and Moore is coming back, I think we get a three seed. So, so that's a whole world of difference in my, in my point of view. Now, if, if we lose... Moore is not coming back, and we lose against Georgetown and Marquette. I think we're a five. I really believe that the committee is going to punish us that bad and yeah, send us if, all if the more, way to five. If Moore is not coming back. If Moore is yeah. not coming back, yeah. yeah I, I, just, I agree. I can't see us getting a top four seed in the NCAA tournament with all of that, no, no, which, no. Is, which is crazy. It's a crazy tumble. We were just talking two weeks, like a week and a half ago, about potentially having a chance to get a one seed and to tumble all the way to five would be would be horrifying but it's what happens when you lose two of your best players at the end of the season it just is so 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 that's how i think this all plays out to the best of my imagination um i I, i'm gonna make a hot take here i think we win the first game on on thursday i think it's a gut check moment for this team with or without more i swear to god i believe this i think there's a gut check moment for this team it's a prove your ground moment for this team i think this team is going to come out with absolute hair on fire and Marquette and Georgetown are just kind of like, you know, whatever. And, you know, they have to win three games, go through St. John, Seton Hall or UConn or Creighton to win the thing. They're not going to do that. These teams have, are done with their season. I think it's over. I think it's over for them. I think we're going to get a tired opponent a day after they just played each other. And I think that's it. I, I think Villanova is going to come out with his hair on fire. I think Villanova advances to the semifinals. I think that's as far as we go. I think Seton Hall is going to get our number if somehow Seton Hall beats St. John's. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think St. John's is going to come out. I think St. John's is winning its way into the NCAA tournament. Whether they win the tournament or not, if they advance to the final, I think St. John's is in. So I have St. John's beating us in the second game of the tournament. All right. Well, I don't know if they'll get us, but I like St. John's advancing past Seton Hall. 
I like them advancing past whoever they end up playing, whether it's us or whether it's certainly Georgetown and Marquette. I can definitely see them winning there, which would be pretty exciting. And a UConn-St. John's Big East final would be certainly a throwback for some old Big East classics and would be pretty exciting. I think you alluded to this earlier. UConn right now is my pick to win it all. They seem to be rolling, seem to be clicking a little bit more on all cylinders. And I think that team's just, that team in that program and is going to be jazzed to be back in, in MSG. I totally agree. I think it's going to be – I think they're going to – I honestly think that they're going to win this biggest tournament going away. St. John's is the only thing to get in their way. And, and candidly, I don't even know if St. John's has all the ammunition to do that. I, I don't think that they, they, they will. I mean, they're going to muck them up and they're going to make them speed them up and they're going to make them play weird. And St. John's might have to win that game to be in the dance, although I don't think they will. I think if they win two games, I think they're in. So I, I see St. John's losing to UConn in the final. I, I'm almost like, it's weird. I'm almost like dead certain that this is going to happen. I don't know why. I've never been this certain of anything. I just am like certain it's going to be UConn St. John's and I'm certain UConn's going to win the Big East tournament. I don't know how this happened. Um, and we've forgotten about Creighton, but like, but like, I don't know. I'm not seeing it with Creighton, not, not against UConn in the second, in the, in the, uh, in the semifinal. Creighton probably does advance to, to semifinal Friday, but I think that's it for them. I think UConn is just absolutely hair on fire. And UConn could end up as a six or seven seed after it's all said and done with if they beat if they beat Creighton and then win the Big East tournament. So it's interesting to see what's happening with UConn at the back end of the season here. Absolutely. So I think that points to two things to talk about, right? We have the the dance and and Colin, right? Yeah. Do we want to do do we want to do the dance now? I don't know that we do. We may want to wait until to say that for another episode. Okay, I just wanted to ask you one question. What's your? Yeah. Like, we're going to make the tournament. So, what is your expectation? Are we a one and done? Are we out first round? I think it depends a bit on if we have Justin. I think if we have Justin, we're probably. I think we can probably get one win. Um, and there's a there's a chance there's a chance this team goes nuts and gets a second win. But I think that's it. Well, also, there's no also just on the second game we haven't benefited from this at all. But let's just say we're a four seed, right? If we play a 13 seed in the second, in the, in the first game, there's a chance the 12 beats the five and we get a weaker 12 seed in the second, totally. in the second totally. game. So like, yeah. so like we don't know that we've not benefited from that of late at all, but yeah, I, I, I think there's also just like this team has enough with Justin. There's enough actual star power on this team that they could just be like, yep, yeah, fuck it. Like we're doing it live. And we just like, just roll somebody in the second round. Yeah. Like, could absolutely happen, and we could just we could be we're now a second weekend team. That said, I think that's kind of where the magic ends, and that's where I see the ceiling at this point. But yeah, we could absolutely benefit from that too, and it could be even easier. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. So that, that, that's all I wanted to get out of you. I think. Look, I, yeah. I think I think I said on the clubhouse yesterday because I fully expected more to come back. That my expectations were still a Sweet Sixteen. I've tempered that a little bit. Um, I think my expectations are to make the second week, uh, second round. My expectations are second round. With more comes back, I, I'm going to be disappointed if we lose in that second round game. Candidly, I'm not going to just be like happy to just write off um, yeah, and be like, yeah. oh, oh, well, too bad. You know what I mean? Without Justin, I mean, fucking crap. Shoot. Yeah. Roll, roll the ball on the court and hope for the best, right? But Yeah, absolutely. You, you can't really have expectations without Justin. Um, no, I think that's right. Okay, and then Colin and Demir. We asked, and Demir. Yeah, for those listening, we asked this to Dana, and she didn't have – too much of an answer um, in the second half is a little preview of the second half of the podcast. But what do you think? Is Colin coming back? 
I think he's coming back. He's been he's made he's now made statements that he's going to he's considering it. He's going to evaluate his decisions. I and here's why. And again, I have no inside information on this, but here's why I think he'll come back. One, if so, if Colin had a really good shot at going to the NBA and getting drafted, there's no chance he would come back. It, would, it wouldn't make any sense. Right? Even second round, not he, coming back. Even second round, he, he's he's not going to get drafted though. It's just not going to happen. Not um, with the injury. Not with the injury, and, and even without the injury, he's not going to he's not going to get drafted. His best chance was to do undrafted, sign a G League contract, and work your way through the G League, just how Arch did, and, and scrap your way to some playing time, which has worked out very well for him. Given given that, or he could he could certainly go to go directly to Europe and and have a good pro career there. Given that that the NBA isn't just knocking at his door to come, and given that he has basically lost the opportunity to define his legacy at Villanova the past last year with the pandemic wiping out the NCAA's, and this year with the injury wiping out his chance at the NCAA's. It wouldn't surprise me for him to say, look, I can defer going to the G League for another year. I can go to Europe a year later. And yeah, I'm going to take a crack at, at getting, my, getting my name on the wall somewhere and having that legacy. Because at the end of the day, the opportunities that he's thinking about for next year are going to be there likely a year from now. Again, if he was... Higher on NBA draft boards, my answer would certainly be different. But I think given that, wouldn't surprise me if he comes back. And Jay has already clearly stated that he is open to having Colin come back. Yeah. I, so my take is slightly different, but ends up kind of in the same place. I do think absent the injury, I think this was his last season. I think that he was going to move on. I think Jay would have probably said, you know, private conversations. We'd never know this. Um, but private conversations say, hey, man, like, look, I got to develop guys who are coming up behind you in the ranks um, that, you know, the, the leader thing to do would be to move on to the next to the next level. I do think Colin could have worked his way with the reputation. Some of the Villanova guys have carved out to maybe get a second round pick, um, maybe get that free agent signing in the in the the quote unquote third round. You know, it's not doesn't really exist, but it kind of exists. So I think he would have signed somewhere. I think someone would have picked him up. And I think that would have been his exit strategy. I think the injury changes things because I believe that whatever he had, whatever good stuff and sweat equity he had built up, he has to rebuild now. Because now you have an older player who has an MCL injury and you don't know what's going to happen with that guy. Um, so NBA, you know, NBA GMs, you know, oftentimes tend to, tend to focus on the younger, more athletic players. I think with, with Colin, he's neither of those things. And so, it's one of those things where it's like now, now you add injury to insult, so to speak, and you have a you have a difficult situation in front of him in terms of getting to the league. I don't think that's his end goal in his life. Um, you know, I'm sure he's got a lot of open doors, smart kid, a good student, done a lot of great things, going to graduate with a degree, the whole nine yards. I think I happen to agree that I could see him coming back because of that MCL injury. I think the injury really changes things. He has to prove himself all over again for another year and prove he can be the same player that he was right, you know, as of a week ago um, in order to, in order to do that. There's a whole other question to talk about. And we'll talk about in the off season is what that means for player development going forward and minutes allocations and all that stuff, which is a whole separate conversation for now. Colin making the best decision for himself. He's got a weird decision in front of him that candidly I can't have, there's no analog. 
There's nothing to say like, there's nothing to say like, oh, I'm, I can compare this to this situation. I don't have any comparison, none. Um, so, so what does Colin do? It's hard to say. I think he's got a lot of. I think he's got a lot of options in front of him. That's the that's the pro of the situation. The con is that no options terrific, no options terrible, which makes it harder to make a decision. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then Dada, I, I just don't know. I, I don't know what he's thinking. I don't know what he's got in his head. He's been it's been a year and a half that he hasn't played, and so and so does he want to play again? I'm sure there's time there's time for him to play if he wants to come back. There's time on there's there's minutes. But I don't even know if, if that's his goal anymore. Uh, it, uh, yeah. Yeah. There's a, like a weird footnote, but, you know, he's also gotten a degree. He's also a great student. He's also a great kid with, with, with goals and, and wants to do things with social justice, et cetera. We had Tony Chenault on the clubhouse yesterday who basically walked away from basketball after his college career and, and has a burgeoning film career and he's doing well with that. Does, does Dada want to do anything like that and go the other direction? If so, why waste another year playing college basketball um, if that's your goal? So I, I don't know. It's too early to tell for both of them. The only person who I'm pretty sure now leaves is Jermaine. I'm confident Jermaine is gone. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's right. All right. I think that's it, right? I think that's it. Yeah. All right. So this is going to be a long podcast, but the second half is Dana O'Neill. So this is the moment that you've all been waiting for. And as always, let's go Nova. Nova.